0: So today's reading is 2 Samuel 11, 1-27, on page 309 of the Hebrew Bible. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's man. Destroyed the Ammonites besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. And she was purifying herself from her monthly unpleasantness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to the house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah sat at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to the house. David was told, Uriah did to not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Jehovah and my lawless men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joah and sent it with Uriah. In he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him, so he will be struck down and die. So while Joah had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joah, some of the men in David's, David's army fell, moreover Uriah the Hittite died. died. Job sent David a full account of the battle, he instructed the messenger. When he had finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to this city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jeroboam? Didn't a woman drop another millstone melding from the wall so that he died in feathers? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, we'll to his servant Uriah, he died his death. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, and we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at the servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, the servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Job, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. They say this to encourage Pharaoh. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought to his house, and she became his wife, and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased
1: Today we come to one of the most famous tragedies in the Bible, the tragedy of David and Bathsheba. In two Samuel eleven and twelve, is of David's fall from grace. Previously, on the Crown, our series into Samuel, we saw how David rose to become king, and the great king the Lord made him to be. But in these two chapters, we see the once great king fall. Though circumstances and his own flaws distort David's sense of reality, God's word is adamant that David is responsible for his sin. A human king sins, but that points us to the divine king who forgives. David's tragedy points us to the tragedy of Jesus' death that secures the forgiveness of those who repent and believe. Let's pray as we consider God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. As we read it today, please help us to understand it. Help us to see how King David's story points us to the story of King Jesus. May we hear and obey your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have your Bible open as we work through the story. There's an outline in your news sheet as well. We're going to see three scenes in our episode today the king's sin, the king's judgment, and the king's grace. We're going to see wicked deeds in our story. If it was a movie, it would probably be rated MA for nudity, sex scenes, and violence. Unlike the beginning of 2 Samuel, David is not set apart from these wicked deeds. David commits these terrible acts. But as we move through the story of the king's sin, the king's judgment, and the king's grace, we're going to end up reflecting on the forgiveness of King Jesus. Scene 1, the king's sin. Chapter 11, that James read out for us, tells us the human king's sin. We see King David make two unwise choices which lead to his sin. The story is set in the context of a war that the Israelites are fighting, yet David remains at home, those one. David's staying at home has often been interpreted as being the first sin that happens. But David's staying at home is not necessarily sinful. The Israelites have been fighting with the Ammonites. It's in chapter 10 if you want to read it for yourself. And so far David has sent Joab as general to lead the troops once. And David has led the troops himself once. Now here in chapter 11 we see David again send Joab to lead the troops. David's delegation is not sinful. As king, he probably has lots of things to take care of. But the author is bluntly pointing out that this is the time when kings normally go to war. A better way to see David staying at home is its lack of wisdom. It is unwise for David not to fulfil this kingly responsibility. It's unwise because David staying at home creates the opportunity for him to fall into sin. David's lack of wisdom doesn't end there. Look at when he gets up for the day, verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed. This is not just waking up from an afternoon nap. David has been lounging around in bed all day. Not just to sleep in till late morning or lunch like I often did as a teenager. He only gets up once the sun starts to set. Again, not necessarily sinful, but definitely unwise. An adult man in his mid-thirties, sleeping the day away. We would probably call him a slacker. David's wasting the day like he's staying at home helps create the opportunity for him to fall into sin. It's unwise, unhelpful. So David is at home after a long line, and he goes for a walk on the roof. Keep reading in verse 2 with me. From the roof he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful. Alarm bells should be going off for David. He sees a naked woman who is not his wife. What is he going to do? Surely, well, David is God's king. Surely he will respect this woman and obey the Lord God's commands. But he's also a king with a hero. David had at least seven wives when he first came to Jerusalem, and since then he has taken more women. David is a man used to having his pick. He has lost the intimate experience of marriage to one woman. He's become desensitised. His sense of reality when it comes to sex is distorted. So we've seen David's unwise choices and his desensitisation towards sex. Even if you didn't know the story, you'd be able to guess how this tragedy progresses. In verse 3, we see David sending someone to find out about the woman. David finds out who this woman is and who she is to her family. Bathsheba, daughter of Eliad, wife of Uriah. These three bits of information don't seem to give David a reality check. The woman is a person, a daughter, not just something for David to have. And Bathsheba is married, so technically unavailable to David. And both Bathsheba's father and husband were part of David's mighty men that fought for him and fought with him. This information about who Bathsheba is and who she is to her family should have shocked David out of his distorted reality, opened his eyes to the situation. This was not a woman for him to have. But David was desensitised when it came to him. And now he was fixated on Bathsheba. Dispassionately, the narrator records the sin that follows from verse 4. Again, David sent messages. This time, not just to find out information, but to get her. And David chooses. David chooses to sleep with her. Then in verse 5, we read that the woman conceived and told David. Bathsheba told David because the child was undoubtedly his child. That's why we have the detail beforehand about Bathsheba bathing herself after her period. David has impregnated Bathsheba, another man's wife. This has all been done in secret, and David wants to keep it that way. His vision is distorted by the desire to keep his sin a secret. So now David's initial transgression snowballs into further sin. Verses 6-16 to record David's deceitfulness in trying to cover up his sin. David calls Uriah back from the front lines, hoping that he will sleep with Bathsheba. If David's plan works, then the baby's true paternity would be hidden from the public eye. But Uriah is honourable and doesn't go home. He stays in the same place as the palace servants. David plies Uriah with alcohol the next night. But drunk Uriah has more integrity than a sober David. Uriah still doesn't go home to his wife. Finally, David sends Uriah back to the front line with instructions to the general to get him killed. Joab, the general, has no issues carrying this out. And the general deliberately places Uriah in a place where he knows he'll get killed. Uriah gets killed in battle. The concise way the story is told invites many questions and the most hotly contested of which is whether Bathsheba protested, whether she was a silent victim or whether she was a willing adulterer. We don't know the answers to those questions. We only know what the narrator tells us and how the narrator tells us. The big focus is on David and his sin the action in verse 4 is told extremely quickly and without emotion. They sent to get her. She came and he slept with her. These are not the emotional words of love. These are the hollow words of lust. In fact, the words are very similar to those that describe the actions of Eve and Adam in the first scene. The narrator is showing us here that David only thought of Bathsheba. As something to get and to have. In the whole chapter, Bathsheba is only mentioned by name once. By the servants. Every other time she is referred to as the woman, or Uriah's wife, or she. David has not treated Bathsheba with the dignity she deserves as a human being. David has sinned against her. But his sin is more than just that. David has disobeyed most of the second half of the Lord's Ten Commandments. David coveted his neighbor's wife. He committed adultery. David gave false testimony. He didn't tell Uriah the truth and he covered it up. He tried to. David committed murder by ordering Uriah's death. And after Bathsheba's time of mourning had finished, David stole her. She became his wife. Read the aftermath with me in verse 27. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. God's king has fallen. God is displeased and will see his judgment in the next chapter. Scene 2, the king's judgment. The Lord sends the prophet Nathan to David in chapter 12. Nathan tells David a parable disguised as a legal matter for the king to pass judgment on. As the story is a parable, the situation and the characters symbolise what's happening in real life. The parable is about a rich man with lots of sheep and a poor man with one little lamb. When the rich man has a guest, he serves up the poor man's lamb as dinner instead of one of his own many sheep. David gets so engrossed in the story that he burns with anger and decrees that the man must die and pay back four times what he has taken. That's when Nathan delivers the punchline. Verse 7. You are the man. Do you see the symbolism in the parable? Nathan is saying that David is the rich man with lots of sheep, that is, women. And Uriah is represented by the poor man with one little lamb. That is Bathsheba. Like the rich man took the poor man's little sheep, so King David has taken Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Nathan now begins the Lord's case against David by reminding him of all the generous things he's given him, such as the kingship. Then the Lord recites David's crimes in verse 9. This human king has despised the Lord's word, done evil in the Lord's eyes, killed Uriah by proxy. And taken Uriah's wife. And then the divine king's judgment comes down. The Lord will bring calamity upon David. There are short term, medium term, and long term consequences for his sin. The short term consequence is in verse 14 the son born out of David and Bathsheba's adulterous relationship will die. The medium term consequence is in verses 11 and 12. Someone who is close to David will take his wives and sleep with them in public. We'll see this next week with Absalom. And finally, the long-term consequence is in verse 10. The sword will never depart from David's house. David's descendants will be plagued by violence, whether their own or their enemies. And again, we'll start to see that play out next week. Nathan's delivery of the Lord God's judgment shocks David out of his distorted reality. Now he sees clearly what he has done. And David confesses, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. 2 Samuel gives us only one sentence of David's response of repentance. But in the Psalms, the soundtrack to much of the Old Testament, we hear more of David's thoughts and feelings in this moment. In Psalm 51, David sings, Have mercy on me, O God. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The great king humbling himself before the Lord. When it comes to rebelling against his creator, David is just like any other human being, infected by the disease of sin. Over the last two weeks we focused on how King David points to King Jesus. But this episode is when King David points to us. For all his goodness, David is still human and sinful. And all human beings, no matter how high their status or how special their calling, are still fallen creatures. The New Testament scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. That is, the punishment for our rebellion against God is death. That if we sin, we deserve death. But that points us back to David's punishment, which wasn't death. The Lord says in verse 13 that David is not going to die on account of his sin. Let's pause the story for a moment to consider this. David, as a human, points to us, but he's also a leader of God's people. David's story reminds us of what we expect of God's leaders. It doesn't seem fair that David has committed this terrible act. And is not given the expected punishment. It seems like the man in power has got away with his sexual misconduct and murder. You might be shocked, or saddened, or angry at this. Shocked because David was called to be different as God's king. Saddened because David's sin hurt and destroyed relationships. Angry. Because it shows David's callous disregard for other human beings. When God's leaders sin, the ones who are supposed to care for their people, it affects us deeply. I remember last year I heard about an international evangelist that was accused of sexual misconduct. And evidence was uncovered proving this. I couldn't believe it at first. A man whose job it was to tell others about Jesus was leading this hypocritical life. I felt really sad too. So many people had been hurt by this man. And I felt angry as well. He had used and abused people. And the thing that agitated me the most was how it would affect how the good news of Jesus was heard by people. This evangelist's sin would distort people's reactions to his message about Jesus. So what do we do with our shock, our sadness, our anger, When God's leaders' sin. Well, Jesus encourages us to persistently pray to our loving Heavenly Father for justice. In Luke 18, Jesus says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Well, no, he won't. Soon Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, and the Lord's justice will prevail against all evil. When we want to lash out with our feelings, instead we need to pray and patiently wait for the judge, Jesus, to return. Back to 2 Samuel. Scene 3 The King's Grace. We see the Divine King's judgment paired with his grace. In addition to David keeping his life, there are two other signs of grace. David's sin is taken away. And then the Lord gives David and Bathsheba another child. Read chapter 12, verse 13. with me. There is David's repentance and then Nathan replies, The Lord has taken away your sin. David was stained by his sin. There is blood on his hands. But the Lord took that away. We know from the rest of the Bible story that David's sin here, and yours and mine and that of the entire world, was placed on Jesus. The New Testament scriptures tell us this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, you have been healed. Jesus took our penalty for sin, death, and his sacrifice takes sin. The Lord has graciously taken David's sin away. The Lord also gives David and Bathsheba another child. Read verse 24 with me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. The Lord is now merciful to David and Bathsheba. Instead of them being executed for adultery, or her womb being closed, or any other punishment that simple humans might have deserved, they are given another son, and the Lord loves him. The tragedy of David and Bathsheba is surprisingly flipped on its head here at the end, because the Lord as the divine king both judges and graciously gives. But why did the Lord graciously forgive David? It could be because of David's wholehearted repentance, which we read before in verse 13 and in Psalm 51. The New Testament scriptures tell us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. They will be wiped clean. But more importantly, the Lord graciously gives to David because of his covenant with him. Last week we read the Davidic Covenant, the Lord's promise to David to use his line and his kingdom in his plan of salvation. And the Lord keeps his promises faithfully. The faithfulness of the Lord is a key aspect of who he is. The sin of one of the humans in his plan is not going to stop him from fulfilling his plan. And so the Lord's graciousness here is to prove his own faithfulness. The Lord will still use David even though he is an adulterer and a murderer, in his plan of salvation because he faithfully promised to. The Lord, as the divine king, is gracious to the human king because he faithfully keeps his promises. So what does this mean for us? As followers of King Jesus, how are we to respond? Firstly, have you repented of your sins? and being forgiven by Jesus. Remember, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive you. Don't let your reality be distorted by your sin. Repent and live without condemnation. If you haven't said sorry for your rebellion against God, do it today. Receive Jesus' forgiveness and start a new life. And talk about it with someone whether that's the person you came with, or with me, or Simon, or other people here at our church, we'd love to talk to you about repenting and having faith in Jesus. We can also learn from David's sin. There are lots of things to say about David's sin, but we're going to focus on the initials. We're going to look at how our sin snowballs and consequences of that next week. As followers of King Jesus, we are called to this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. David's sense of reality was distorted. He had conformed to the pattern of this world, and his unwise choices was part of that. If David had gone to war, he would not have seen Bathsheba bathing. If he had got up early in the day, maybe he would have used the day down. As I said before, these are not sinful choices, but they prove to be unwise, unhelpful. Are there situations in your life that are unwise for you to be in, that might create an opportunity for sin? Jesus taught, if there are things that cause you to stumble, you need to cut them out and throw them away. Maybe it's after work drinks, a situation where alcohol might change what people say and do. Is that an unwise situation for you to place yourself in? Maybe it's a one-on-one private conversation with someone who isn't your spouse. Is that an unwise situation for you to place yourself in? None of these situations are necessarily sinful, but they might prove to be unwise, unhelpful. I think we need to check our reality, because the reality of the world says it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. But the reality of God's word says, that you should cut out unwise situations and throw them away. David's sexual desensitization distorted his reality too. In much the same way our world is drenched with sexuality. Almost everything in the movies, on television, the popular music fills our minds with the world's view of sex. What are you watching? What are you listening to? We don't really have helms anymore like King David, but watching pornography distorts your view of sex in much the same way. If this is you, you need to stop and repent and check your reality with God's Word. The reality of something like porn says that you can have anything you want, whenever you want. But the reality of God's Word is that Jesus reminds us that anyone who looks lustful, has already committed adultery in their heart. But it's not just pornography that distorts our reality, it's also a lot of the mainstream television shows. They fill your mind with expectations and views about sex. that don't agree with what the Bible says. Check your reality. Is it shaped with what shows like Bridgerton or Game of Thrones says is right? The reality of the world says that if it feels good, it must be right. But the reality of God's word is that as followers of King Jesus, we are called to be holy like our King is holy. We need to check what is going into our lives. Prevent yourself falling into the same trap as David by having God's word shape your view of how to operate in a world drenched in sexuality. The tragedy of David and Bathsheba shows a human king who sins. The Lord reacts in both judgment and grace, faithfully keeping his promise to use David's family in his plan, but also punishing David as well. We'll see more about how that judgment unfolds next week as David's family and kingdom fracture. Let us not fall into sin like David did, but check what is going into our minds with God's word. But when we do sin, may we repent wholeheartedly, knowing that God is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins. Simon is going to lead us in prayer
2: of Psalm 51 together. Uh, These are the words uh, penned by David after he was confronted by Nathan about his sin. Let's pray. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with this and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit with you. Do not cast me from your presence. Will take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen.